You're listening to the Pink Granite Podcast. Pink Granite is a bipartisan community supporting women as they forge a career in Texas politics and policy. Candidates, staff, lobbyists, activists, and yes, even supportive men all have a place in the Pink Granite community. Learn more and support our work by visiting pinkgranitetexas.com and following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at pinkgranitetx. Hi, this is Caitlin Smith. Um, I'm hosting the Pink Granite podcast again, but today I have uh, my good friend Michelle Richmond on, and she is the executive director of Texas Competitive Power Advocates, and she has a long career at the Texas legislature, and she is going to talk a little bit about her career um, and, and, and her politics and how she separates the two, and I think we might even get a little bit into talking about her daughters and kind of educating and talking to the, the next generation about policy and politics, especially for women. Thanks for Does having me. Does that sound me. good to you, Michelle? Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Um, so I was just going to start with with your background. I, I don't know if you want to start with your, your job or sort of your job history. I, I think it'd be interesting to talk about how you first got interested in working in government or policy. Oh, sure. Um, strangely enough, I had an amazing government teacher when I was in high school um, who, for whatever reason, um, got me very interested in it to the point that I actually took microeconomics as an elective my senior year in high school just so that I could um, take another class with her because um, she was so fantastic. Um, and that was kind of an unusual thing for me. Um, I was just fascinated by it. And so when I went to, uh, when I went to college, I came up to UT and didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I ended up, um, working at the Capitol, um, as a sergeant in the house of representatives. So I spent, you know, I worked part-time there and I, I went to UT, um, ended up doing a, a minor in history. Um, and was just fascinated by politics and American politics and, and Texas in particular, and went to work um, straight out of college at, at the Capitol. Um, and so I have been working in and around the legislature for, gosh, almost 30 years now, um, which makes me feel very old. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm that old. Um, you're so, not yeah. that old. Yeah, I no. was going to say, so you started when you were eight. <laughs> ah, you're so great. No, I, <laughs> I was 19 when I started working at the Capitol. And I, I don't know what that means. You said you started as a sergeant. Yeah, it was kind of a glorified, okay. yeah, was kind of a glorified gopher. Um, the house sergeant at arms keeps, uh, order in the house chamber and they have, uh, kids, generally college kids underneath them that run errands for the members of the House of Representatives and their offices, um, you know, all kinds of things, whether it's running bills or packets to and from the House floor, back and forth 
between the Senate, but it's kind of a neat job when you're in college because you get to know the members of the house, you get to know their staffs, um, and you kind of, you get to work around the Capitol. Um, so it was a fun job and it's kind of interesting because the current Sergeant at arms in the house today, um, served with me as a sergeant when we were in college together. So it's kind of fun. We have, we have oh, a special cool. place for each other. Um, just having done that great, great guy. So, um, yeah, it was fun. So I, I did that and I spent, then I spent, um, four years working for a member of the Texas house, um, as, as we used to joke running his life. And, um, I, dealt with the appropriations committee because he served on, on house appropriations and public ed got to do a lot of bills. He was one of those folks that worked with members of both parties and really dug into the substance of things. So that was a lot of fun for me. I got to do a lot of research. Um, and then I went and I lobbied for years and I lobbied for, um, business associations as well as teacher associations. And then I went and I worked, um, in the house for a state agency doing, um, governmental relations. So not lobbying, but, you know, still working in and around the legislature and with other agencies and, and stakeholders and whatnot. And then, um, I had the good fortune to be hired as the executive director at TCPA. So I kind of got to put all of the different things about all of the various jobs that I've had together in one um, one job that I absolutely love. That's great. Do you prefer the sort of lobbying advocating role to, to kind of what, what you've done in, in running a staff for a representative or working at a state agency? Um, I, I love the policy stuff. I like working for an association and I really like that I can take a position on issues. Um, which you cannot do when you work for state agency. Um, so I, I really like this because we can take a position on things and we can advocate one way or another, um, which is a lot of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do very much enjoy that. I, I used to get asked, well, you know, where, where are you on this bill when I worked at the agency? And I would say, well, I, I work for an agency. We don't take positions. No, no, no. But are you more, are you more, for it or more against it. I would say I'm neutral. I work for an agency, but are you more for neutral or more against neutral? (laughs) I would say, no, I'm I'm neutral, neutral. (laughs) I don't know what that means. More for neutral or against neutral. No, I'm, I'm neutral, neutral. We don't have a position. It's like the character chart where you're like lawful, neutral or lawful evil or whatever. Yeah, I'm staying the true neutral. So um, it's nice to be able to say, no, we are for this or we are not uh, or we are against this or, you know, we haven't taken a position. Yeah. Um, for other women or, or men, too, who might want to be lobbyists, what do you think are the essential skill set for that? I know you mentioned liking to research and I know you like to research um, and, and I know you like to advocate as well. So is um, it- Good communication, obviously. Um, you know, it, I've had people say, you know, oh, well, what do you do? Um, and I say, I talk to people for a living. Um, I communicate for a living. And so I think that um, being able to communicate in a very succinct 
fashion is important. I think being able to distill subjects that are complex into something that is really easy to understand, because especially, you know, we work in the electric industry. And so those are very complex technical issues. And if you aren't working in that day to day, um, you know, we deal with a lot of acronyms. I like to joke, you know, I need to be able to, to talk for the real people in the room. Um, mm-hmm. not the people that have been doing this for 30 years. And so really putting it into um, digestible form that people can understand. Um, I also think being able to be very upfront with people. Um, one of the hallmarks, good, bad, or indifferent, ha- has always been that I will, I will not only tell someone what our position is, but I'll be really clear about what the people that are against it are going to say about it because I don't want someone to be caught off guard. Um, I'm also going to tell somebody how it impacts their district, um, whether it's a good thing for my position or not, because the bottom line is they're going to find out um, the reality of the issues regarding that bill or that, that situation. Um, and I want to be able to tell them the full truth about that. So I think that's an important, um, characteristic at least. I think so too. You know, I work with a lot of different clients and when they bring a new issue to me to, to work on, that's usually the first thing I do is find out who's opposed to it and why, because I think that really helps you know, advocate for it and find out if it's even a viable thing to advocate for. Absolutely. There's a lot of good information. Um, I I maybe will ask what your husband thinks because I had a significant other. And at one point I said, do you even know what I do for a living? And he kind of threw his hands up in the air and said, it's all acronyms. And 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 I, you know, to be fair, I thought that was an okay answer. (laughs) It's like, you have a good point. So, oh yeah, he. I mean, I think he he sees it more and more now. Um, mm-hmm. I think at first, it you know, especially you know now in the time of COVID, um, you know, I think it's changed substantially. At first, when we were first dating, it was wow, you have a lot of work happy hours, and trying to explain that really a lot of business gets done over happy hour, and that mm-hmm. it's not just. Um, you know, it's not just going to a meeting, it's also building rapport and relationships. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the relationships I have are, have spanned, you know, 25 years and, and that's a, a good thing. So, and yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's, um, it, it's not necessarily that you're going to talk business every time, but it's, it's, you know, getting to know people and understanding what they go through and building a relationship with them. And I think that's important. I think so too. You talked about communication being one of the skills you need. And that's something I think about a lot too. I I think, you know, it's really important. What I try to do is communicate the way the other person likes to. And, Mm -hmm. And luckily there are some people whose preferences to communicate at happy hour. So that, that works out well for us, but you know, some people like email and and phone and and text. And I think that makes a big difference when you're advocating, if you'll even just meet that person, the way they like to be communicated with. I I think that's key. And, you know, reading the room is important. I've watched people 
um, whether they're testifying at a state agency or in front of the legislature. And it, it absolutely kills me when I see somebody who's just not reading their audience. Um, and it may be somebody who has prepared this fantastic speech that they've been dying to give and they're practicing, um, but just are not reading the fact that the people in front of them have been listening to the same type of testimony for hours and are ready to get out of there. Um, and they're just not helping their cause. And sometimes it's better just to say, you know, me too. I appreciate your time and, you know, urge you to support this bill or I urge you to, you know, oppose this or you don't have to say everything that you've prepared, but, revise and improvise based on what you see happening and reading the people that you are trying to communicate with. Because while you might have this great speech prepared that you've practiced and you want to get across, that might not be what is needed in order to do um, the best that you can for your purpose at the time. I agree with that. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for, for people to do that. Um, you know, I, I try to do that. I'll, I'll, I'm not one for prepared speeches or prepared remarks, but I'll usually have an outline. But if by the time they get to me in the meeting or the hearing things have been said, I kind of condense it. Um, or if somebody has a follow-up question, I try to be prepared. But I, I've seen a lot of people who just need that preparation and ha have a harder time kind of thinking on their feet, adjusting, summarizing, maybe even adapting to arguments they weren't expecting or, or questions they weren't expecting. Do you have advice on, on how to get better at that? Um, I think some of it uh, is remember that you're talking to real people. They may have titles in front of their names, but at the end of the day, um, they are real people that put their, you know, pants on one foot at a time, just like the rest of us do. Um, they want to be um, communicated with and, and talked with as opposed to read to. Um, I see a lot of people get up and read a speech that they've prepared, and I feel like the reception from members of the legislature um, is not nearly as good from people that read to them. In fact, some of them will say, I, I'm very capable of reading. I don't need you to read to me. Um, I can read the testimony that you've, you've provided. Um, I think if you get up there and you talk to them and you speak from the heart, especially if you're, if you're a paid lobbyist, I think that there's a different expectation. If you are, um, a member of an association that's coming in to communicate how this is going to impact your business or, um, a, you know, a constituent that's coming in to talk about how a potential change, change is going to impact your business or your family. Um, there's a different set of standards for your communication with the legislature than there is for somebody like you or me who is paid to be there. Um, and so I think that those are the people that do better when they just speak to them from the heart. I think they're given a lot of deference and leeway. Um, I think that when folks like us get up there and we don't read the room, uh, it's not received very well because we are expected in our profession to be able to do that and to improvise and revise what we're going to say based on what we've heard before us. Um, based on the questions that are being asked by the members of the of the committee that we're addressing, uh, 
Um, and uh, if we can't do that, then probably we should look to find other jobs. That makes sense. So we jumped in a lot about what we actually do, but I was wondering if you could tell us more about your your current role with TCPA. You're, so you're executive director of an organization called uh, Texas Competitive Power Advocates. So I I the executive director for a great association that represents basically the large thermal generators in uh, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. So the competitive area of Texas, um, it's the large generators that power the grid. Um, And so these are competitive wholesale market participants um, that, uh, that sell power to power your home and your business. And, um, you know, they are the reliable resources that when ERCOT says, I need you to turn on, they turn on. And when, you know, the demand isn't there, they can turn off. And, you know, we're not dependent on whether the the wind is blowing or not. So, Um, so it probably varies, but what, so what's your role like day to day? I'm sure it's different Um, every day. It does. It, it, it varies. Um, somebody jokingly, uh, tongue in cheek said, I heard the nerds because, um, my folks are extremely bright. Um, they are very technical, uh, in their expertise on how the market works. Um, I do the day-to-day operations of the association from the mundane, you know, paying bills and, um, administrative functions like that. But I also, um, I report to the board of directors. So I'm a registered lobbyist and I lobby on behalf of the association. Um, whether it's at the legislature, I, um, I advocate at the public utility commission and work with the staff and the commissioners. I file comments when the association has determined that they want to, um, file comments in a project or rulemaking or even a, a contested case. Um, that we've gotten involved in. Um, I am on many, many of the subcommittees and work group uh, meetings at ERCOT because those are issues that impact our members and the market in general. And so um, I work with the other market participants and stakeholders to you know, work on whatever the issue is, whether it's negotiating on language for an NPRR or some type of, of rulemaking, um, put presentations together. We've done a lot of um, uh, market 101 presentations for members of the legislature and their staffs. Um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to the association and, and a one person show, but you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I have um, a fantastic contract lobbyist that, that does a lot with me. Um, and so my members are also really great about uh, information and just, you know, all, all of that. So what is to make most- their life easier? Yeah. What's yeah. the most rewarding part of your job? That I work for great people. That's what everyone says. No, I think it's that true. Is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I, I don't mean that I don't believe that you work for great people, but the people who love their jobs, I find that it's because they like who they work with and who they work for. I have had experiences where I have, um, I have worked for people who have been um, – not so pleasant and it's 
you spend an inordinate amount of time at work um, yes. or just working. And so right now you're at work all the time, right? Yes. Yes. And so when you work with people that are good people that are um, just wonderful people to work with and work for, it makes it a completely different experience. Um, and quite honestly, it makes you want to work harder for them. And so I just, I feel very lucky that I get to work for, you know, people who are genuinely good people. They themselves are very hardworking and um, they are very supportive of me and my role and very um, appreciative and encouraging. And it, it makes me want to work harder for them. Cool. Yeah. What's the most challenging part of your role? being a one person show. Um, and you know, I think probably their biggest criticism of me at times is that, uh, I, I sometimes don't turn off the work. And so, um, I think that the most challenging thing is putting the, the phone down or putting the laptop away. And, um, especially at home, not, um, not being uh, constantly at work and um, just sometimes feeling spread thin, um, yeah. realizing that you can't be everywhere all the time and, and being okay with it. Yeah. It's hard for me too. I think that's hard when you're a one person show too, right? Because you don't, you have a board, but you don't necessarily have a manager or someone you check in with every day to say, you know, to today, I, I'm not okay. I'm spread too thin. I need to take a break. And it's hard to tell yourself that. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, this is going to be fun. What <laughs> can you describe a time you knew you were good at your job? It can be this job. It can be any of the past jobs. Um, gosh, I think I remember a time I knew you were good at your job. Oh, well, good. Then you tell me. <laughs> you did testimony for a for the Smart Meter Texas case, which I it's super nerd stuff, so I won't bore people. But uh, it, it was a very uh, technical, contested case at, at the Public Utility Commission, um, and it was you know essentially a room full of lawyers and regulatory people trying to write uh, software code. Or yeah. the, maybe not the actual code, but the requirements for it. So it was, it got really uh, difficult, I think, for everyone. But you, you gave some testimony, um, and I was very impressed. Oh, thank you. That was fun. That was a fun case. Um, that tested my patience, but that was, that was a lot of fun. That was, a, that was the first time I was an expert in a case, too. So that was kind of a, an interesting experience. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess there's been different points in my career, and I guess it depends on, on what. I guess that was one of them. Um, maybe another was uh, working for a different association, and a bill that I was working on was held up because of uh, essentially two members of the legislature who were upset with one another. I know that never happens, right? And it was the end of session. And uh, the uh, 
the chairman of the committee where the bill was um, had just had his last desk meeting. And I pulled him off the floor and he said, well, don't worry, don't worry, I'll get it out. And I said, well, you just had your last desk meeting. And he said, well, you know, that's so-and-so's bill. And I said, yes. And he's, well, he's got mining committee. And I said, do you want me to go ask him to let your bill out? Well, that'd be good. And I said, you want me to do it now or do you want me to wait until we're on the playground at recess? (laughs) And it was kind of sarcastic. (laughs) He said, said, I promise you I'll get get the bill out. And I said, well, time's a ticking. And uh, he said, I I promise, I promise. And I said, okay, well, we'll see. And literally, as I was walking back to my office, my cell phone rang, and it was that particular chairman. And he called and he said, I just, I want you to know I'm going to call a desk meeting for your bill. And I said, well, seeing is believing. And, uh, And he did. And my bill was signed into law. Um at the end of that session. So I felt like that, that was a pretty good indicator that maybe I, I was pretty good at, at my job then. I think so. so. So did you get the other bill out of committee? I didn't have to at that point. Wasn't real worried about it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I like what you said, because sometimes I'm in, in meetings or hearings and I start to wonder do they really believe that much in or against this issue or do they just not like the other person? Oh, it's no, it was, it was absolute <laughs> personality issue. And I mean, I got upset cause I was like, this is good policy and you know, it's good policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was fun. I like how you handled that. Thank you for listening. Please visit pinkgranitetexas.com to become part of our community and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at pinkgranitetx. And if you enjoyed this interview, please also take a moment to leave a positive review for a new podcast. One of the things I wanted to discuss with you was we went through your career a little bit, and I believe you've worked for elected officials on both sides of the aisle. And yes. you and I have talked one-on-one, and, and you're a, I think you classify yourself as a true independent and I a, do. It, an issue-based voter. Um, so I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about that, and I don't know if if that's either yeah. how you separate that from your job or how, how you approach being completely independent and, and issue-based. Um, yeah, I think that there are, um, there are issues that uh, are important to me that I, I do a lot of research, whether it's, um, you know, for work or personally when I'm looking at candidates and I vote I, I don't I don't think I've ever voted a straight ticket ever. Um, I vote wow. for candidates of both sides based on um, what they stand for and um, you know the district that I live in at the time and 
how that's going to impact where I live and my family. Um, that being said, there have been times that I have worked um, for somebody who has positions on things that do not jive with my personal viewpoints. And the bottom line, I think, is that when I'm getting paid to work for that person, my my personal viewpoint is irrelevant. Um, I can I can make my personal viewpoint known at the val- at the ballot box or um, in whatever volunteer work I do, but um, as long as I am doing a job, I'm going to do that with 150 percent effort, and my personal viewpoint on it absolutely does not matter. Um, so I guess the way I've always approached it is I check my personal viewpoints at the door. Um, and I, if I'm working for somebody then I'm working for them and their agenda is my agenda. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, that's how I've always approached it. And, um, it's, it's served me well. Um, I, I can honestly say that there's probably been fewer than a handful of times where, I've had massive conflict um, and I've been pretty judicious in picking where I go career-wise. And so, um, you know, I I have not been in a situation where I I would have to worry that my morals were being compromised or anything like that. But, but yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, my, my job is to do my job and, um, I think I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, I have a job right now that is perfectly in keeping with my viewpoints. And so yep. it's pretty easy from that mm-hmm. standpoint. That's what I was going to, you, you went ahead and answered it. I was going to ask if you ever had a time where, where that was especially challenging to keep it separate. Um, you said less than a handful. Yeah, less than a handful of times. And it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a very long time. So going back to your personal approach to politics, so I don't know that I've ever heard someone else say they've never voted the straight ticket. Really? Um, and have you? I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever really talked about it with anyone for the most part I know like my husband and I've talked about it he's never voted a straight ticket either really yeah even before Um, he was your husband he never voted a straight ticket mm -mm. no yeah cool yeah yeah I was wondering how rare that was I think for you a lot of it is that you really enjoy doing that research I do I, I'm I, I'm kind of a nerd that way, and I and I'm totally fine with being uh, a political nerd. I think yeah. most of us in this in this business probably are to some extent, um, but I do enjoy enjoy doing the research and and um, looking into what's true and what's not and all of that. I think I probably get most frustrated when I hear people parroting sound bites and having absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get somewhat impatient with that, but that's probably because I do look into it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a yeah. little frustrating. 
that was going to be my follow-up question is kind of how do you reconcile that with the average voter who, who probably isn't super excited about doing research on each issue? You know, I, I really or do you have advice on making that maybe more accessible or seemingly more accessible for somebody like that? I think that the people that actually want to educate themselves can do that. And uh, I mean, for me, I try and provide information um, if I've got it. And mm-hmm. so the people that are interested in doing that, I think will take advantage of it and look at it. Um, there are also people who are only interested in information that supports whatever their viewpoint or position or candidate says or is or does. And so those people probably aren't going to change their thought process regardless. Um, and you know, that's fine too. Um, I, I guess I would say, if you can look at somebody and be able to articulate on your own policy issues um, that are a reason for why you would support that individual, I can totally respect that. Mm-hmm. If you're unable to articulate what policies with actual facts uh, that cause you to support somebody, and you're just going to parrot some soundbite that has no basis in reality, then I'm probably not going to engage in that conversation for very long mm-hmm. because it's not a very intelligent conversation. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know what I should add to that. I will say <laughs> I've, I've been shocked recently at how many people don't know what a fact is versus what an opinion is. I agree. And it's Um, fine if you agree with somebody else's opinion and it's a fact that they said that, but because they said their opinion doesn't make it a fact. And it's just, that's something that baffles me. I I recently said to somebody, um, you are correct. We are all entitled to our own opinions. However, we are not entitled to our own facts. That's interesting. Facts are important, and they are what they are. I'll ask you this because I was asked this when I had this conversation with someone else. How do you define what a fact is? Independently confirmed, verifiable. Um, I, I want to be able to to see it. Um, I, my answer and, is data. Yeah, <laughs> I had a one word answer. I said it's data. Well, I mean, it's data when it's, you know, a hard number, Mm -hmm. but, um, I would also say a fact is, you know, a, a a legal transcript of somebody saying something Mm -hmm. or a video, uh, let me unedited and undoctored of somebody saying something. Well, I mean, in this day and age, you turn on the news and somebody's doctored something and it's, getting ridiculous. So I, I would also say those are, those I would consider facts. Um, but yes, generally data, although you can pick up a, a newspaper. Uh, most people don't do that or turn on a computer uh, and people twist data 
all different ways to try and make it say what they want it to say as well. Mm -hmm. So. So you talked about trying to share the facts with people and put the information out there. Um, I don't know that I've said this about anyone else. I really like when you and your husband engage on Facebook with people because you do try to put independent facts or, or data out there and then you get all kinds of comments and I think you tend to handle them very patiently. And I, <laughs> I'm just wondering what, what that process is like for you. Do you find that rewarding or, or frustrating? Are you guys doing that because, you know, you really just want the information out there? Or are you getting some of these policy discussions um, out of it that you're, you're enjoying that kind of feeds a little bit of, of your interest in policy and research? Um. I, oh, let's see. Do I enjoy it? I, mean, I think I, to some extent. When I have insomnia, I've, you know, almost picked fights with, with Jason's commenters in the middle of the night. So. <laughs> I, think, I think it's an exercise in frustration at times. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly days where I, um, I do the, you know, okay take 10 deep breaths and sit on your hands and don't respond immediately um, in order for me to be a, um, a kind and patient respondent. Otherwise, I will say things that are not nice. Um, and there are times where people are um, very rude and obnoxious. And um, I think my favorite is when they degenerate into name calling. And and then I just kind of say, well, you know, I, I, I wish you the best of luck. And it's too bad that we can't engage in a respectful and intelligent conversation. Yeah, but I, but I've also learned that people that start to go into name calling uh, generally do it because they don't have any information or um, intelligent statements with which to engage you, and that so that's sense. really the best they can do in terms of conflict. And mm-hmm. so. I would prefer that somebody just say, well, I don't know that I have anything to say, so I'm just going to end this conversation than to go into name calling. I'm, I'm never going to turn and look at you and say, well, you're a, you're an idiot for this or that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand that. I, why do I do that? Um, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, I honestly, I think it's more of, I have, preached to my daughters that um, if you see something that's untrue, you should try and correct it and educate. And if you see something that's wrong, part of being a leader is to stand up um, and say, no, that's not right when you see it. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that myself, then I'm not really modeling what I'm preaching to my kids. 
And so I guess at the end of the day, the last thing I want is to be a hypocrite when it comes to my children. Yep. And so if I expect my kids who are 10 and almost 13 to stand up and be leaders in their own right, then I need to do it myself. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I wanted to talk to you about. I don't know that we've had really an, an interviewer or podcast about this yet. Um, so Pink Granite does promote women in policy and politics. And we, we talk a lot about leadership for women. And that's something I'm pretty passionate about. You have two young daughters. So I yes. just kind of wanted to talk about how you you pass things on to them because you've had a very successful career um, engaged with policy and politics a lot in specific ways through work and, and through all that research. Um, and you've had leadership roles. So I was wondering what lessons you pass on to them and how, how you kind of promote that next generation. Um, I think it's kind of just in the everyday way we live. Um, for the most part, the conversations we have, they, um, they have just been raised with an expectation that they stand up to what they see that's wrong, that they do what they know in their heart is right. Uh, that they not follow the crowd, that they be a leader. Um, I point things out to them when I see it. So whether it's in life, um, whether it's on TV, we have discussions on a regular basis. They don't really love watching the news, but they do occasionally watch the news with us. I don't uh, love watching the news. Yeah, I don't always love watching the news either. But, you know, we'll watch um, we'll watch movies together and we will talk about uh, the whatever the theme is in the movie that um, kind of has some type of moral lesson to it. And I mean, we have boundaries. I, I'm just very upfront with them about the boundaries and rules in our house and why they exist. Um, I, I guess the way I live my life, I, I like that I'm independent. Um, I, want them to be independent. They know that no matter what they choose in life, whether it's career or relationships or anything else, they have my support and love. And so I feel like that's freeing to them to be able to, to be themselves and be true to themselves. And so my, my older daughter in particular is tiny. Um, much tinier than any of her friends. But Lord, if I could bottle her self-esteem and sell it, I would be a very wealthy woman because she, she has not a care in the world. She will, she will absolutely get in, in somebody's face if they go after one of her friends. I mean, she is as feisty as can be. And I mean, I love that she's that way, and she, but she's also very respectful. Um, my younger daughter is the same way. And so, you know, when all of the, uh, the social justice issues came up this spring, and I, quite honestly, are still ongoing, we had discussions about that and, and even just the mask issues with coronavirus. And we've talked about leadership and what that means. And I'll point things out to them. And so my my daughters have both stood up for friends of theirs before and will continue to do so. 
because that's just ingrained in them. And I don't know that it's really a second thought. It's just who they are, the way they are. Um, They both want to go and do different things in life. And um, the mantra is great. Work hard and be the best, whatever that is, at it. And so, you know, I, we have, you know, argument, arguments and debates and whatnot, and I'm sure we'll have many more, um, especially, you know, we're entering the teenage years and that's Uh going to be a joy. Yep. Uh, but yeah, no, that that's interesting because I think a lot of it is just speaking up for yourself or, or speaking up for somebody else who, who can't. Um, and in preparing for this, I know we talked to Amy, whose daughter is much younger, and, and mm-hmm. she has an unusual name. And, and Amy told us a story where she said, you're allowed to pe- to correct people when they pronounce your name wrong. And, and you know, in talking about your older daughter, you said she's very feisty, but still respectful. But I imagine that's kind of a, a hard thing that you do need to be explicit about with, with young kids is, you know, you should push back and speak up to yourself for yourself when, when you can, but I when is it appropriate? <laughs> well, when, that, when can you tell a grown up they're wrong? That kind of thing. I think there's that, but I also think there's, you know, teaching your child to advocate for themselves is also really important and teaching them to solve their own problems. And I think sometimes we get into this rut of trying to solve the problem for them. Yeah. And I remember my daughter getting into trouble for hitting her sister. Pretty basic, right? Mm-hmm. And she came, she got into trouble and she came out and she was, and she was crying. And she said, I'm sorry that I got angry. And my response to her was, you're not in trouble because you got angry. You're, you know, anger is a totally normal emotion and you're perfectly entitled to get angry. You're in trouble because you hit your sister. Mm-hmm. So what could you do in the future to be angry and not get in trouble? Yes. And so she sat there and she kind of brainstormed. Well, I could do this. And I was like, well, that, you know, that's a, that's an idea. How do you think that would play out? And she would sit there and talk about how she thought that would play out and what what the response would be from her sister or what the response would be from me. And ultimately would she get in trouble for the action at the end of it? And so it was one of those letting her kind of figure out some ways to solve her own problem. And I think that helps them to kind of develop some confidence and self-esteem that they can do it on their own, that they're not these helpless creatures. And I think that's important. And so when something comes up at school, even now she's in middle school, I'll say to her, do you want me to email your teacher or your principal? And her response to me is, mom, I can take care of it myself. I'm like, great. That's awesome. Cool. So, I mean, she's she's kind of learned to be her own advocate and you know, my, my younger daughter is, is on track to do the same thing. So, you know, kind of giving them that, that structure and that guidance to let them understand that they can, 
they, they're totally capable of solving these things themselves and of being leaders and, and advocating for themselves. They just need some guidance on how to do that and what's okay and what's not okay. I think it's also the example that, that you've set. You know, I, I think if she hits her sister and you get mad and she gets in trouble and that's that, she just remembers mom getting mad at me. But if she sees an instance where you say, oh, I'm so angry about this and here's the way I'm going to react, I think that's something that then she remembers instead and impacts her for the rest of her life. Well, that and she also knows that I do things sometimes when I'm, you know, that are not right. And so well, you're, I, should, I mean, you're always perfectly handling your anger. I assume. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no. Yeah. So no, I'm, <laughs> I'm a human. I'm flawed. <laughs> you can tell her you did that just to show her the example of what not to do. <laughs> I did this for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, I'm helping you. <laughs> I knew the right thing to do, but I wanted to demonstrate. <laughs> I will look, I will go and I will apologize and tell them that, you know, um, you know ma- ma- mommy lost it. <laughs> mommy lost. Yeah. Like, mommy didn't handle her business so good that way. <laughs> mommy is not perfect. That's so no. funny. I, I no. don't have kids, but I was the older one and my mm-hmm. parents were a lot more strict with me. And I kind of asked them, you know, why, why are the rules different for my younger sister? And they're like, well, we didn't know what we were doing the first time. Oh, so, totally. I think that's, you know, helpful to be honest about. Oh, for sure. I think the first time that they're like this delicate flower, although I don't know, for some reason I wasn't like that with mine. It was that I remember shock and horror when her pacifier fell on the ground and I picked it up and put it in my mouth to clean it and then put it back in her mouth. Like, I think it was my cousin that was absolutely horrified and Oh, she's going to be fine. You know, it just builds her immune system. It's all good. Uh-huh. They're going to be fine. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're, they're pretty resilient. It's, it's amazing to me, but they're, uh, they're definitely in, uh, interesting. They're their own little creatures. That's pretty fun. All right. I'm going to go back to maybe more job related or, or, or fun questions. Sure. Yeah. Um, what could you never do your job without? You can never do your job without blank. My phone. It's a very literal answer. It is. I couldn't do my life without my phone, probably. Yeah, my phone. I uh, I still can't believe there was a time where we didn't have cell phones, but good Lord. I mean, I whether it's for email or text or you know the actual phone I Mm -hmm. this is my lifeline for so many things job related especially you know in in a field where you have to communicate with so many people yep I was watching a Netflix romantic comedy and the main character was like a lawyer who works too much and she mm-hmm. was on a date and describing her day. And she said, I wake up, I turn my phone on, I do emails before I even get out of bed. 
I go to the office for 12 hours. I come home, finish the work I didn't do at the office, and mm-hmm. then get in bed still with my phone. And I almost, you know, I was like, this is too real. I need to turn this off. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I hadn't been planning to ask you this, but I want to. And I, I don't know what the answer is going to be. If uh, you weren't in this job, what would you be? I think you might just say this is the only job I would ever do, a policy or or government job. Um, Maybe you'll surprise us. I don't know. I mean, lottery winner, maybe. <laughs> is that an occupation? I don't think so. Plus, I think you have to actually play the lottery to win. So that, that kind of negates that for me. I don't know. Um, I cannot imagine what else I would do honestly, uh, other than something like this mm-hmm. and the job I'm currently in takes all of the things that I've liked about all of my other jobs and puts it into one job without all of the things I didn't like. So that's kind of amazing. There's nothing you don't like about your job. Honestly, no, there really isn't. I'm really, really, really lucky right now. That's I'm great. Super lucky. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky. So either this or lottery winner. Yeah. Yeah. Lottery winner does require some research. I, I had some friends from law school, and for whatever reason, this was a topic they liked to talk about. Like, what would they do if they won the lottery? Mm-hmm. They had thought about logistics. They were like, well, you'd have to take a car that's not your license plate to go pick up the money. And then, really? <laughs> like, they had thought about all these logistics. And I was like, oh, interesting. So, I. Again, I'd have to buy a ticket in order to even start contemplating the logistics. And I mean, other than, you know, we do scratch offs and, and stockings at Christmas time, but that's about the extent of our lottery participation. So, you know, I doubt I'm going to be a lottery winner. I, I don't know what else I would want to do. Honestly, I have no idea. Well, you, I mean, you probably don't need to know. Hopefully Besides not. this question. Yeah. I think I, I, I've seen, I've seen memes that, you know, when we were all asked what five years ago, what we would be doing in five years, none of us got that answer. Right. So there you go. None no. of us thought we'd be in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think so. I don't think that far in advance though. I think just the way, well, the way my brain works with a little bit of anxiety is I kind of need to take things in about two week chunks. Yeah. I I feel like there's like, it's almost like a strategic plan. There's week increments and month increments and year increments. And then the overall goal, Mm -hmm. the overall goal is at some point to retire to a beach house in Costa Rica. That's the overall goal. Mm-hmm. When that happens, I have no idea. But that's not a second career. That's retirement. That is retirement. Yes, that is retirement. That is definitely not a second career. <laughs> All right. I have two last questions. We talked a lot about your, or I talked a lot about your Facebook because I like it and the way you distribute news and have conversations. Um, what is your favorite place to get the news? 
and wh- and what's your favorite social media app? Oh God, I, I beca- I'm becoming um, very hateful about social media lately, just because I feel like there's so much um, venom being spewed on it. Um, I get a lot of news, believe it or not, from Twitter, but it's based on I who you follow, and I follow a lot of different news outlets and folks that I think are reputable. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. You know, I, I've done less legislative work than you, but I've worked in two or three sessions. Mm-hmm. And when I started, I kind of asked people, what's the best way to keep up? And they all said, Twitter. And oh, then, really? Yeah. And then I tell people that. And a lot of times people are kind of disappointed, but go, go along with it. Yeah. And then I guess for entertainment, um, probably Instagram because there's some hilarious memes out there and videos and whatnot. And it always makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoy it, especially if if there's one about a dog, I'm all in because you know, I love, I love dogs. So if there's a funny (laughs) video about a dog, I'm, I'm in. That's what I was going to say. I think mine's Instagram because I like pictures of dogs. So Absolutely. Easy. I know that it's the quickest way to make you happy is that a picture of a cute dog. Mm-hmm. All right. I think, I don't think we went over, um, but I, I think we got a lot of good conversation. And so I'm wondering, do you have any sort of closing thoughts or, or anything you want to plug? Vote. Whatever you do, vote. <laughs> and we have an extra week of early voting in Texas, so there's no excuse not to. Uh, that would be my my closing plea to everybody. Please. All it's right. Your constitutional right exercises. Thank you for listening. Please visit pinkgranitetexas.com to become part of our community. And follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PinkGraniteTX. And if you enjoyed this interview, please also take a moment to leave a positive review for a new podcast.